Last week, um, we talked about fallowness, and we're in this Advent series. Um, And one of the things that I was reflecting on this week is what does that actually look like? Because it's in tandem with fallowness. We also talked about the candle of hope, and I lit the, the candle of hope, right? And so I thought before I light the candle of hope this morning, as we're reflecting on this past week, maybe you've had some time to reflect on what God may be preparing for you, what maybe this, you're ready, you feel like, but you're still having to wait, this idea of waiting and patience, that sort of stuff, is what this week looked like for you? Where did you see hope? It's not a question that I have up here, but before we lit, light again the candle of hope, I wanted to say, to share with one another, where was the place that you saw hope this past week? So could you take some time and just share with one another a place that you saw hope this week? What did that look like? And then we'll come back together. Well, I think what a, a spectrum. We, we heard a story of um, somebody really in the process of dying and God meeting them in hope and then all the way to young children and just the purity of that. Um, so we light the candle of hope because we see hope in the coming and risen Christ. Um, as part of this candle of hope, and then when we were really processing fallowness last week, um, one of the things, as I was reflecting this past week, um, there were, uh, that stood out to me, the first one was um, this idea of fallowness, because really Advent is a season of waiting. It's a season of, of expectation, um, because in the liturgical calendar, Christ has not been born yet. Um, Go ahead and click the the slide for me, Tom. The first thing that stuck out to me as I was reflecting back on what God was saying to us last week was that Advent and really fallowness is is an opportunity to wait um, as if it were a Sabbath. And what I mean by Sabbath is rest and remembrance. So this waiting, um, a lot of times that produces anxiety or tension or frustration. What if Advent is really teaching us that waiting is an opportunity to rest in who God is and remember historically, not just in our life, but throughout the ages, how faithful God is. I, usually waiting is not that for me. Usually I'm like, okay, the, toil, the, the toiling and the pain that I've gone through, it's for something, so where is that something, right? But instead, you're making me wait. And I want to I reorient our minds around this idea that waiting could be an opportunity for rest and remembrance. The other thing Um, As I was reflecting uh, last week, uh, if you're familiar with John 15, there's Jesus is teaching his disciples, apart from me, you can't do anything. You remember that? John 15, apart from me, you can't do anything. Um, Go ahead and click the slide again, Tom. So in in the spirit of apart from me, you can't do anything. And reflecting on fallowness, one of the things that I realized that the gift of Advent is waiting as a gift of inbreaking shalom. And what I want to remind us about is shalom, the meaning for that is peace and wholeness. So really waiting, we, I know when I feel like I'm waiting, I feel like I'm lacking. Like I'm waiting for something because I don't have something. But what if I, waiting is an opportunity and Advent is teaching us this, this new season that really peace and wholeness is breaking in. 
and it takes time. I know that this is an incomplete metaphor, but it was something I was sharing with an acquaintance the other day. Um, she was referring to the season of life that she's in for over a year, where she's like, I want this thing to be done, and I want this thing to come about. And for whatever reason, um, I was thinking of the movie Rango, and the main character of that is a lizard. And so my, I love that movie. And we know about lizards and, and spiders and various reptiles, and is they have skin, and then what happens over time is they outgrow that skin, and they shed it. But it takes time to shed it, right? It ta- depending on what it can take. A, a, and part of the thing that I've never really realized is that process of shedding is the old skin takes time to come off because the new skin isn't ready yet. And I was thinking about that with the inbreaking shalom is it's progressive. It's incremental a lot of times. Sometimes we just see God's kingdom come about and it's like, boom, it's just in our face. But a lot of times it's incremental. It takes time. And so waiting is really, I want to again reorient our, our minds around the idea that up, apart from you, Jesus, I can't do anything. And if that is true, then what's going to come in is incremental so that I have to trust on you, I have to rely on you. So that was, those were the two things that I was really reflecting on last week. So then if, if waiting is ultimately this process of resting and remembering and also being attentive to God breaking in, what does preparedness look like? What does preparation look like? Because uh, the candle for this week is preparation. So I kind of wanted to, to go along with that theme. In your bulletin, I put this question. What does it look like to prepare to receive and welcome Christ? What does it look like to prepare to receive and welcome Christ. You know what? Go ahead and take a moment. I know this is a different sort of question, but in light of just the reminder from last week, as we talk about Sabbath and Shalom, and what does it look like for you? And it's okay to say, I have no idea. <laughs> does anybody, when you consider this question, what does it look like to prepare to receive and welcome Christ? Do you feel like, I know how to welcome and receive Christ? feel like that's a tension that we walk in. Like, um, one of the things I, I've, I marvel in, uh, for example, about uh, my mom is that she has an unbelievable gift of hospitality, right? It's like somehow deep in her DNA, she just gets how to be hospitable towards people. It doesn't matter who they are. It's actually really kind of annoying when we're on the elevator because she's constantly talking to people. I'm like, yeah, we just got one floor, you know? <laughs> And I just want to do that. But it's that gift of hospitality, right? Is there something that I see about my mom that I admire, which implicitly in relationship, she understands how to welcome people, and she's prepared to receive and welcome people. So, I, I, you know, maybe not, I don't want you to necessarily talk about it, but just do like a pulse check, like a little triage. Do you feel like you really know how to, to receive and welcome Christ? Do you really feel like that's an area of comfort for you? Or is that something that you can grow in? I mean, certainly we could all grow in that. 
but maybe you're struggling with it. So this is, this is where we're going to go today. I used uh, part of the text as something that, that's very familiar. I mean, how many times have either Papa Joe or I have talked about Peter and that specific text? And that's, I chose that text for a reason. Um, but also using Mary, because there's two different sort of models or examples of preparedness, reception, welcoming, okay? So in light of that, I'm going to light the candle, maybe. There it is. Of preparation. And hopefully, um, as we worship God through this, uh, he will illuminate what preparedness looks like in his word. Um, Go ahead, Tom, and you can click to um, uh, actually go back. Okay. I'm going to go back to um, the, the text in John, and I just want to point some things out. I mean, this is, by now, this should be relatively familiar because this is probably at least, the, if not the third or the fourth time that we talked about this text this year. Um, but there were some things that stuck out to me uh, even as I was considering uh, who I would talk about. So I kept thinking of Peter, and I just want to point a few things out before, uh, in case you wanted to follow along, it's on page 883 in the, in the Red Bible, and it might be beneficial for you to, to see it so it st stands out to you. Um, but we're at a point in the text where Jesus has died, and he's risen, and we, we come into this story like there's a bunch of different things that happen in chapter 20, verse 19 forward. And then, then uh, John, who's the author of this text, the beloved disciple, he, he tells this interesting story. And the reason why I say it's interesting is because of what happened previously. One of the things that really stood out to me uh, this past week, and it's actually um, in verse 14, it says, this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. I know sometimes when I read this text, I'm like, I kind of feel like it's maybe the first, maybe the second, but this is the third time. I'm going to point these nuances out so that way you can understand what Peter may be going through. This is the third time Jesus has appeared to him, okay? In that, being that it's the third time, the second time that he saw Jesus, he was there present when Thomas is asking Jesus questions. He's like, hey, you know, check out my scars, you know, that kind of scenario. He was there. And previously, he was there when he was first resurrected. So he's been at very kind of monumental, important times where Jesus is showing him who he is. And this is the first time, and I don't know, I mean, how many, again, how many times have we preached this? I had never really put all of this in the context of verse 30. So remember, the third time, Peter was there for the original resurrection experience. He was there in relationship with Thomas, and then John says something interesting right before this story. He says, this is verse 30 of chapter 20, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Like, for me, if I'm writing part of the Bible, that makes sense to put at the end of my book, right? Like, that's a good bookend. But John doesn't do that. John chooses to do that before this story of Peter. So let's put the timeline together. Life with Jesus, a couple years, dies, Peter runs away. It's like, no, I don't know that man. 
Jesus comes back, resurrected, reveals himself to Peter, reveals himself to Peter and the other disciples again. And then John points out that it wasn't that Jesus just did the resurrection experience and just showed himself and showed his scars. He did what? Many other signs. So the Peter that we're encountering in this third appearance is an interesting Peter. Now, I would like to say, because I'm super spiritual, that if Jesus shows up to me two times, I'm probably not going to get naked on a boat and fish. (laughs) Like, that's probably not going to be my story. But for whatever reason, after all of these different experiences, this this is Peter's reaction to what Jesus is doing. I am going fishing. Right? Isn't that so weird? It's, I mean, it is so Peter, but it's like, generally, if you know what your identity is and you know who you are and who you're following, more often than not, you'll do that. I mean, I look at, uh, it's really interesting, uh, sometimes when I go up to school to see Judah and I go into the office, you know, inevitably, there's always kids that are sitting in the office around the table. And I sit down next to him, and I'm, it's kind of like my elevator thing. I'm like, don't talk to me. I'm going to be here, <laughs> right? And then kids are being kids, and they're like bumping into you and kicking you and stuff like that. And inevitably, if there's two kids, they're calling each other names and stuff like that. And it gets progressively worse and worse and worse. And then I look over, and as soon as I do that look, they're like, oh, an adult, <laughs> Right? And they immediately are like, oh, okay, well, I I shouldn't be doing that. It's why? Because they understand the relationship. They understand they have no idea who I am, but I'm an adult. And they recognize that the way that they're comporting themselves isn't respectful. It's not healthy. Therefore, this adult, he's looking in. He's like, oh, well, I can't do that. I mean, they immediately snap into attention. So... For me, it stands within reason that if Peter understands how Jesus is relating to him and how he's relating to Jesus, he's not going to say, well, I guess I'm going to go fishing. Instead, what is he going to, okay, y'all, what are we going to do? You know, where are we going to go? What is this going to look like? What's our next order? (laughs) But he's like, I'm going to go fishing. And so um, they go fishing. We know the story. They don't catch anything. Um, and And part of the reason why I ended up choosing this text. Verse 4 says, just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Verse 5, Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. I'm going to pause there. So here we are, Jesus is standing on the beach, he's calling out, he's calling them a term of affection, children. But but that's Jesus. What about Peter and the other guys in the boat? When I was reading this, I came up with a little bit of a list of things um, that I thought that Peter might be feeling. Uh, for sure, he's aware. Like, he's not, he's not unsure of who Jesus is by this point. John makes it a point to say, this is the third time. It's almost like, I feel like if John was writing it, and then he's, like, watching Peter read it, and he's like, I put third time for you, Peter. You know, like, you really should have gotten... <laughs> Right? So he's aware. He has, there's no mystery or intrigue about who Jesus is at this point. They know it is the risen Christ. I say naked, not just because like, that was normal for fishing and that kind of thing, 
but he's literally as vulnerable and as exposed as one could be. And he's not just naked like in his bedroom. He's naked in the open water around nothing except for other people with things that can cut him and slice him. If you've ever been fishing with a net before, you can be drowned very easily. He's in a very vulnerable position, even with his expertise as a fisherman. The other thing that stuck out to me, and I know for me personally for this year, why it resonated with me, Peter is starting over again. And he's starting over, starting over. I mean, for me, when he's saying, I'm going to go fishing, that's a I'm starting over statement. Like, okay, I gave this guy three years of my life. Well, I, I guess I'll just go back to what I know and start over again. I put failing after failure because he just failed with Jesus. I mean, he denied Jesus not once, not twice, three times. So he's a failure with Jesus, his, where he thinks he's going to go. Remember, this is the, the Peter that Jesus is like, hey, you're my man, Peter, right? He's one of the, the golden boys. He's gone up and on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's seeing things, and he has access to Jesus that nobody else really had access to except for two other people. And he's the same person that denied Jesus. And then, so he goes, he's starting over. He goes out on the boat, and he's fishing, and then what happens? He doesn't catch a single thing. So not only has he failed, he is failing. Pretty frustrating and hopeless. I wonder if he felt, these are, I put question marks because I don't want to inflect uh, emotions, like project them onto Peter, but I wonder, did he feel disqualified? Like, you know, what, where can I go from here? You ever had that moment before? You're like, okay, what, I don't know what to do next. Confused? I wonder if he felt confused. And the other one is conflicted, certainly. I mean, if you've ever been fishing before, there's not much to do but think or, and if you're lucky, catch fish. They're probably, probably conflicted. This is the Peter that we find in the text. Now, if you look at this list, well, we've all been naked before, so that's an easy one. You can put a check mark by that. But can you, maybe, maybe, maybe presently, you're in one of these, you could identify with one of these, or recently, or all of them, right? I can confess to you that there's many times, just even today, this morning, I felt like this, <laughs> right? This, and this is why I want to talk about Peter with this text. He is basically as unprepared as possible. I mean, he's, he's as far from prepared to receive Christ as you could possibly be. And that's where Jesus shows up to him. And he says, children. He doesn't say, hey, hey, Peter, you know that guy that you, like, you, you messed up three times? He doesn't say, hey, disqualified, hey, you know, confused, hey, conflicted. He says, hey, children. And so he says, and I'll continue in the text, he said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were able to haul it. They were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. Why this is critical is because this is just John showing, and we've talked about this before, John showing Jesus' authority and power. 
Part of the reason, again, why I wanted to include this text is I'm going to throw out some for the lectionary uh, for, for this getting befuddled in my words. For the lectionary, uh, this week for preparation was all about Jesus' authority and power. So I'll give you some texts in case you want to write them down. These were the lectionary verses. Um, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. That was Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 10. Then Psalm 72, verses 1 through 7. Psalm 72, verses 1 through 7. And then Matthew 3, verses 1 through 12. Matthew 3, 1 through 12. Every single one of those texts had to do with Jesus' authority and power. And this is what John's putting into this relational story. Is he's saying, hey, just so you are mindful of who Jesus is, he's the one that's risen. He's the one that has the authority. He's the one that has the power. He's king over all things. So much so, he doesn't even need a fish finder because he knows they're on the right side of the boat. That's the level of authority and power. And it's one of the best catches that they've had to the point where it's going to break their nets. Okay. So John recognizes who it is. It is the Lord, which makes sense because it's John. And then when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked and jumped into the sea. Which, again, I just don't understand. This shows to me the mindset of where Peter's at. If he's already naked, why is he going to put in clothes to go swimming? Like, that's, that's a sign of disruption. He's like, oh, my gosh, I don't even know what to do now. Well, oh, put on the clothes. Oh, I'm going to swim. And then he goes to the shore, and instead of being rejected, instead of being pushed aside or cast off, this is how Jesus responds to them. When they got into the shore, Jesus says to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter, Simon Peter, it doesn't say Simon Peter plus the other guys. Simon Peter hulked out. <laughs> and carried all the fish. He said some of the fish. Peter's like, I'm going to bring all the fish for Jesus. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Um, what I, I, I'm so in love with, with this story is Peter... He knows that he needs to be prepared. He knows that he wants to maybe be right with God. Like he, he recognizes that the, the, the trajectory he was going is just kind of messed up. He wants to be right with God. So he's trying to do all of these things. And Jesus is basically saying to him, pump the brakes, wait, rest, eat, fellowship with me. It's only after they share a meal together that he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? I think Jesus was very clear. The only way you're going to understand what I'm going to ask you to do is if you know who you are through who I am. That goes back to that fallowness, is that, yeah, the land may seem like it's ready, but sometimes rest is just good, and that's what Peter is being invited into, is resting at the table with God, receiving, participating by receiving instead of participating by doing. So this is Peter. 
And I wanted to not contrast or compare, but just show a different side of the same coin, which is Mary. So we can go back to um, Luke, and this is chapter 1. This is on page 831. Now, um, what I did was, uh, do you all have bulletins? Many of you have bulletins. If you don't, maybe you can share. Um, I actually included a different version in the bulletin, a different, uh, this is the Common English Bible um, that I'll read to you. But before I do that, just as a reminder, here we are in the story where we have this young woman who's a teen, right? And an angel has appeared to her and said all of these various things to her. Now, when I was reading through chapter 1 and uh, verse 26 uh, in chapter 1 talks about the birth of Jesus uh, being foretold. And, and it breaks that down. And this is after Zachariah's story and that kind of thing. Um, when I was reading it, these were the things that stood out to me as I was reflecting on Mary's relationship um, to, to God and, and, and to how this is all going to play out. She too is aware. I mean, she had an angel show up to her and say, this is how it's going to go down. Even if it's not, this is how it's going to go down by detail. She's aware. She, too, is starting over. I mean, when you're dating and then there's the engagement and then you get married and then you have all these, like, dreams and desires and stuff like that, Mary would have been exactly the same. She would have been preparing her heart for this marriage that she's about to go into. And all of a sudden, with one conversation, that's all turned on its head. And now she's got to process in a moment what life is going to look like, the stigmas that may be associated with her just because she's not quite married yet. Right? All of these things that she would have never imagined prior to this conversation. So she's starting over. But similarly, she's overjoyed. She's worshipful. She's excited. She's grateful, and she's prepared. And it's not just about her situation. In this conversation uh, with the angel, I'll read this to you. Um, verse 36, it says, And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And this is Mary's response. Then Mary said, Here I am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. So it wasn't just that Mary got a window into the impossibilities made possible with her life. It was with somebody that she deeply cared for, which was Elizabeth. So she hears this story, and she's like, six months. Can you imagine? Six months. She's six months pregnant, right? And then she, in those days, Mary set out with haste. So I'm going to read this version because it just spoke to me specifically Mary's praise. Uh, you can follow along if you have the bulletin or just listen. I didn't put it up there. It says, Mary got up and hurried to a city in the Judean hill, uh, highlands. She entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. With a loud voice, she blurted out, God has blessed you above all women and has blessed me, uh, blessed the child you carry. Why do I have this honor that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Happy is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill the promises he made to her. 
pause right there. So Mary is having her life changed, but then she's hearing about the life change of somebody she cares about, so she runs with haste to find out what's going on. Instead of blubbering over Elizabeth like, oh my goodness, girl, let me touch your belly. Elizabeth responds to her, oh my goodness, I can't even believe what's happening. And then Mary breaks out into this like Disney moment where she just breaks out into song. And she says, with all my heart, I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God my Savior. He has looked with favor on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored because the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He shows mercy to everyone from one generation to the next who honors him as God. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, just as he promised to our ancestors, to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants forever. Look, if anybody ever thinks a woman's weak, <laughs> I mean, here is this proclamation. I mean, she just gets it. And she's not highly esteemed because she's carrying Jesus because she recognizes mercy. She recognizes love. I love this translation, the verse 40, 47, in the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God my Savior. Isn't that so beautiful? See, the thing that I'm learning about preparation is that we're, we're rarely prepared. <laughs> rarely. I mean, if you think back in your life where you've had life-changing experiences, were you ready for that? No. <laughs> And sometimes we could point a finger at Peter and be like, well, Peter, you did it wrong, and Mary did it right. I, go ahead and put this up, Tom. This is something that struck me. It's not an either or. John, or Peter is not better than Mary, and Mary is not be better than Peter, because one is not better than the other. God comes to us as Emmanuel in both. It's not about Peter, and it's not about Mary. It's about Jesus. And so literally, this, kind of, this question that I asked, uh, which was, what does it look like to prepare to receive and welcome Jesus, is just to say, here I am. It's not doing something. I mean, Peter showed us. He did all the wrong things. Again, that's why I pointed out his nudity before he gets dressed to jump in the water. He is literally doing all of the wrong things. And Jesus meets him in that to say, I welcome you into relationship with me. You're mine before you even knew it. And really, if we look to, to Mary and, and her idea of preparedness, there was no way she was going to be prepared for something like that. But what we see is this inclination towards worship, inclination towards celebration, inclination towards rest, inclination towards wholeness, inclination towards God making all things right. And how do we know that? 
Well, by looking at her song. Is she sees that whatever is going to take place is going to make things okay again. She doesn't know how. She doesn't maybe even know when. But she knows it will be true. So as we look to hope and preparedness, we have hope. The thing that we can see about this young woman, barely woman, by the way, we know that Mary was young, very young, is that she understands something about Israel's history. She knows that there's hope on the horizon. And in that way, she was prepared. That's why I, I started, and really originally I wasn't going to, that's why we started with, what hope have you seen this week? Because when you know that there's hope, you can be prepared in your waiting. Because Jesus will come again. So as you, you know, I had this, uh, you can do one more uh, click. I kept the definition for fallowness and prepared because they're, again, two sides of the same coin. Land plowed, if I just change plowed and harrowed to land prepared but left unsown for a period in order to restore its readiness to bear and produce. This is what we're being invited into. Yes, we may be prepared and ready, but we don't have to be sown yet. We get to rest. We get to rejuvenate. We get to be restored and made whole again. So I don't know if you can identify with Peter's list more or maybe Mary's list more. I don't know. For me, I can, again, confess to you, it's Peter for me. But he welcomes me. And ultimately, this table is like the loaf of bread and the fish, right? It's Jesus serving up to us his invitation, serving up to us his grace, serving up to us his mercy. And that's why if y'all want to start breaking out into song like Mary, I'm okay with that. <laughs> that is the appropriate response. So uh, let me prepare our hearts um, for, to receive communion together. Um, I would just encourage you, whether you're on a boat or you're making haste to see how hope is breaking through in another way, like Mary was, um, he receives us, he welcomes us, he's Emmanuel, God with us. So let's pray together. Uh, God, you are so gracious in your invitation. I thank you that you're a God that meets us when we're doing all the things that are wrong, and you're the God that meets us when we respond in maybe the way that we wanted to. Um, thank you that you don't, you don't just pick and choose, is that you see the interior, you know our hearts, you know um, our desires, and that's what I can acknowledge about your relationship with Peter, is that his heart was in the right place. Um, so I pray for all of us that you would place our hearts before you and refresh and renew them. Um, as we wait in this Advent season, I pray that we wouldn't try to rush, that we wouldn't try to hurry, that we wouldn't try and do all these things and fix all these things, which is such a temptation, especially with the holidays, um, but that we could just find wholeness in you, rest in you, patience in you, that we wouldn't scurry around, but instead we would have a measured trajectory. Um, God, I pray as we um, partake in, in Holy Communion this morning, I pray that if there's things that we need to confess, Lord, that 
um, you know our hearts that we could just feel so welcomed that we could just confess these things like we could just blubber them out and just get them out so that we could truly experience this invitation. Um, God, is, your a welcoming present is, presence is here with us. And so um, we say um, yes. So God, um, help us to say yes to you this morning. We pray this in your name, Jesus.